Hey guys, it's uh, Andy here in another episode of the Mountain Malarkey Podcast with Dave. Hello everybody. How are we doing, Dave? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Got something a little different today. Very different, yeah. So what we've done is we realised that uh, when we do the Tuesday tune-in over on Facebook, um, which we've been doing during lockdown, we had some comments and requests around, um, you know, not everyone's on Facebook, but people still wanted to hear about the content. There's been some great stuff. We've talked about bags. We've talked about Battle of the Treks. We've talked about trekking boots, mindset, fitness, loads of stuff. And we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we turn these into podcasts? Because... Like you said, Dave, they're, they're sitting down listening for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, we've got a couple of we had a couple of special guests, didn't we? We had a new head of operations over in Nepal. Yeah, uh, Lee Wardle, Ironman triathlete, um, gym owner, and all around nice guy. Um, yeah, and there's there's so much good information and good content there that, and not everybody is on Facebook or yeah can sit there and watch a video for an hour and a bit doing nothing. So yeah, this is a great format. You can do it on the go, put it in your car, listen to it. It's a bit interactive, so you're going to have seen us answer questions and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, but if you're listening to this, obviously, yeah. um, and you have any questions about any of the things you hear, uh, podcast at evertrack.co.uk. Awesome, Dave. Yeah, enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, all the best. Right, Dave, a minute and a half. That was the best start to a live ever, I think, since we started doing these, mate. Yeah, well, look, look at it this way. We are, um, we're, we're working from home again. I'm now in a in a different flat to when I was previously, so this is all new technology again. It is, yeah. We've um, it's it's local lockdown in in Kefili. Typically, Kefili is as uh, is not doing great from a COVID perspective, and our office is in Kefili. So yeah, all of uh, all of the Yetis are currently working at home. Yeah. Um, again, so it's kind of weird because we spent sort of four and a half five months of doing it, and we. We're missing the office at the moment, aren't we, Dave? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. I'm just, you know, I keep refreshing the BBC news page to see when I can go back. Uh, <laughs> after like so many months working at home and then being able to be in the office and actually see human beings again. Um, know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, this is why, luckily, we're on the live. Um, yeah, we, we did something a bit different. We sent an email out yesterday for um, to try and get a bunch of questions before we start the live because it's, it's always great. I've noticed the last couple of weeks, I know you had, you had Dave last week and then you had Myself and then Dave and Fee the week before. So, yeah, lots of Yetis. Get to meet all the Yetis. There'll be some more on here soon. Yeah. But we realised that, um, you know, people are getting a little bit busy. I know we, we try and do this around lunchtime on a Tuesday. We hope that's okay um, in terms of running the live. So we thought if you do have any questions, you can submit them, and then you can always watch the replay, but at least we'll be able to answer your questions. So first bit we're going to cover is we're going to talk about Tupcar because that's kind of the subject today. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe the differences in the winter and the summer ascents and different things you might need for those. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll have a look at some of the questions that were, we got about 12, 13 questions that came in overnight. Um, and then as always, um, you know, I think this is our 22nd, 23rd live. Always loads of questions come in. Has it really been 23 weeks? What's that? Has it been 23 weeks already? That's. Uh... Uh, yeah, I think the first one was in March, I, I, which was, was crazy. I think the first one, was with Lee Wardle talking about fitness. Was that the first one? I think that was the first one, yeah. Oh, right. Fair enough. So, I know, crazy, right? But uh, anyway, we, we, we love doing them, and look, it's great to see everyone on here. Um, sorry to see you go, Andy. Uh, catch up for the the, the, the replay later. Um, yeah, okay. Right, it's Tube Car then, Dave. Where, where do we start, Tube Car? Um, yeah, so it's one of our, um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting trip because it can yeah. be done two ways. 
Um, you know, you can do it. It's really convenient because you can do a four-day trip. So if you can book a long weekend or long weekend off yeah. work, then you can go do two Cal and come back. Or you can do an eight-day trip, um, which is a little bit more involved. And we do like a more sort of scenic route to the summit of Tupcal. Um, but get, given those two routes to the same summit is pretty interesting because normally, you know, we like to stick to one route. You know, there's only one yeah. way we go up Kilimanjaro. There's only one way we go to EBC, one way we go to Gokyo and that sort of thing. So, but Tupcal, yeah, it can be done in a couple of different ways. And then it changes again because you can either do that in summer or winter. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like trying to, it, it offers you quite a lot of sort of variety in terms of trip length in terms of like what the trip is actually like whether it's going to be boiling hot or freezing cold you know the choice is yours uh but yeah, yeah very excited i mean we were initially looking to go in november but you know 2020 being what it is yeah we're um, sure, aren't we? yeah we're still uh question marked on whether that's going to be possible but um yeah that's we'll see bad. how it goes yeah, yeah you're right. I'm, i mean fingers crossed we can i mean it's it's the same as anything at the moment wherever you go there's going to be um you know there's going to be times where a month before we'd be like look you know they, they've shut down the country or you know there's going to be restrictions on us leaving the yeah. UK. we just don't know so yeah fingers crossed we, we can but we'll have to, to play by here with november yeah um but right yeah so winter summer i the four day eight day as dave said lots of variety one of the great things i suppose about tukal it's it's short haul it doesn't take that long to actually get there um i think it's just over three three and a half hours so it's, yeah. it's nothing really to go to high altitude um you know and you're pretty much touching four thousand two hundred meters so yeah during um that i mean let's talk about november then if we're going november through to say early march maybe late february you're talking about proper winter conditions um yeah. they do have a ski season believe it or not in the atlas mountains um i know a lot of the a lot of our, our guides over there actually do a lot of skiing yeah um, where we got the imlil valley um, which is if you go into Tupcar, that's where you'd be starting from is uh, Imlil was a village where you'd be meeting your mules, you're meeting your guides. Uh, and that's where you start uh, all of your, um, whether you're doing the four day or the eight day, you'd be starting yeah. there. And um, yeah, it's it's not too far until you get, to, especially in winter, until you start to reach the winter conditions. Yeah. So, uh, hey, Mick. Good afternoon. He's I, got think, a beer Mark, I, I, I need a Zoom wall or some pictures. Mark thinks I'm in prison. Um, yeah, I, it does kind of look like that. Have you seen those like uh, on Netflix, those um, Piers Morgan interviews with a serial killer? This is what this looks like right now. But, wow. Um, yeah, you are right. I don't really have anything that I can put here, to be honest. I've not long moved into the flat. I mean, at, well, May. So, yeah, long enough to put some stuff on the walls. But <laughs> Yeah, you do need some more pictures on the walls, Dave. The thing is, they're all in the office. So, yeah. it, it, yeah, hopefully a few weeks to be back in the office. And That's it. Yeah, exactly. Colourful walls. Um, but, yeah, with, with winter. Um, it is winter conditions. If you are booked in to any of our trips um, during the winter months, then, you know, we always do suggest, um, you know, doing some potentially winter skills. Yeah. You, know, you can learn when you're there. It's just good to get some experience. So we're talking like time on crampons. Yeah. Um, time with an ice axe. Um, you know, having those, uh, the, the winter kit, if you like, um, is definitely an advantage. Yeah. But um, whereas in the summer, you don't need that. You know, you're just walking through a valley um up to the top of Tupcal. um you know you, you don't really need any sort of winter gear at that time so no. yeah anything from say november through to say beginning of march yeah so just have that clear in your mind if you are booked in those dates that 
there there are is going to be snow around which is awesome yeah um, but potentially going to be using crampons and um, an ice axe yeah exactly i mean like andy said there's nothing technical that you have to be able to do so you're not going to be doing any like rock or ice climbing or anything like that you know the crampons are for grip in like icy mixed conditions and things like that but you can sort of like go there and put them on for the first time and get to the top um, but just in terms of like comfort and things like that i'd be inclined you know just to go there have a little bit of familiarity with how to put them on take them off how to walk in them because it is slightly different um and then you know you'll just have to be you, you just concentrate more on what you're doing as opposed to you know what's on your feet so yeah, yeah big difference. so i'm just reading some of the uh some of the comments coming through that uh, you're an incarcerated gang member dave um <laughs> hashtag incarcerated gang member i don't uh, know what will possibly give you that idea i, just, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think so mate. well that's why you're the painted yeti at the end of the day yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um but yeah tube cars so i mean another difference um okay so summer winter is, is some of the roots so basically you've got the imlil valley and you've got the Mizane Valley. So there's two different valleys there. And when you climb in Tupacal, you've got the um, the North Core. It, the most popular route, and 95% of, of, of companies and, and, and people who go to Tupacal take the, I believe it's the South Core route. Um, but the North Core route is also fine to take on during summer. It's quite difficult during winter, that. So you know, yeah. you've know got to be very experienced, fixed ropes. You know, you're talking... Um, that's some steep stuff. I mean, if you used to do any mountaineering in Scotland, that might be might be a good challenge. But we 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 stick to the South Cole route. Yeah. Um, but we do, especially during winter, uh, we do take the the Mazane Valley, which is a slightly different route. You just again, you do start at Imlil, but it just goes the long way round because uh, you go the normal route. Uh, it does get a, is a little bit of an avalanche risk. So we 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 got to sort of take it easy. And I think it's big to um, it's very important. Um, we like to always talk about flexibility. Um, because of weather conditions, uh, any you know, it, it can turn at any time, especially in, in in mountainous regions. Yeah, we are always flexible, but there's there's, there's a few there's a couple of different ways that you can get up there. Yeah. Um, depending on the winter and the summer route, because the summer route, it's it's a bit easier because there's no yeah. uh, you know no challenging that, conditions to get up it. And that's one of the reasons why we use local guides as well. You know, rather than having like a Western guide turn up to the country and then and run the trip because giving those local guides they'll be familiar with the weather and the changes and what the landscape is like it's yeah. the same for all of our trips um you know almost certainly when you arrive to do a trip in Tupacal that guide would have been there recently already running trips before yours so knows yeah. what the terrain's like and that's what we say we, we offer an itinerary but if the guide feels like it's better to go one way or the other then we do that you know because ultimately we want to get you on the top with the um what's it called on the top of Tupacal? Like that pyramid, but it's not a pyramid. It's like a battle pyramid, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite iconic, isn't it? You've seen um when, when if you if you Google Tupacal, that'll be the first image that'll come out. It'll be this basically this big metal uh marker for the for the summit. Um, yeah. so yeah, quite a quite a distinctive summit, isn't it? Um but yeah, I'm just uh, now I mean we've talked about tube car a little bit. Um and any questions around tube car guys, um do just post them. Yeah. Um while we're on here, I think, um, let's have a little look. Jishu, um, you've messaged that I'll bring your question in, uh, if we can. I know we've we've had a few tech issues lately, but let's bring that in. Um, can you rent the equipment locally or is it better to buy? Um, yes, you certainly can. You can you can rent them locally in Imlil. It's got all the gear there. Very similar to, you know, if you go into say um, Everest Base Camp, and you you've got Tamil, you've got uh, Imlil's really good. You've got a lot of shops there. You can you can hire gear from. Yeah. Obviously, if you want to use your own gear, no problem. You can bring that. 
um, you know, with you uh, if you're experiencing that. But if not, um, you know, you can certainly uh, you can certainly hire some out there. Um, that is Tupacal, good training for Elbrus. Yeah, it's it's weird. On the last live we were on, Dave, some we 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 got quite into depth between um, in depth about talking about Elbrus, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think winter, winter definitely. I mean, any sort of peak like that would actually go to altitude. I mean, Tupacal is what four thousand one hundred. 100 help me out and 60 something i think it's something along those lines you know so um anytime you go into altitude and you're also trekking in winter conditions snow yes. ice using crampons and stuff like that you build in a sort of bank of experience so it's becomes a little bit second nature i mean when you're um, on elbush you know you might be intense and things like that on high camps and knowing how to sort of manage an expedition camping so yeah. you're in the tent you know you've got to kind of get an order to like your clothes how you put crampons on and off you know and stuff like that so all of that experience is built in um and weirdly you know i have seen people put crampons on like backward back to front and stuff like that yeah so and you know altitude sometimes the although tupcal is not extreme altitude that's yeah. why we're able to do like a four-day weekender because going up to 4,000 meters, it's possible to get to the refuge, what we call the Tupcal Refuge, which is where you spend the night before summit night. Yeah. And then you can kind of make a dash to the summit and come back down again safely. Um, you're not exposed to extreme altitude for long enough, really, that you are going to experience or, or there's a high risk of you experiencing altitude sickness. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it is, you know, any mountain, I think, where you're going to experience winter conditions will be a definite good training for Tupac, uh, for uh, Elbrus. Elbrus, yeah, 100%. Totally agree with you there, Dave. Um, Diane's asked a good question. Hey, Diane, great to see you on the live again, mate. Um, and I hope uh, you and the family keep them well. Um, I know you're booked in November. I did just double check, and I think you're booked in on the 19th of November um, in a couple of years because I know you've got a few trips booked with us. I'd say, yeah, there's definitely a potential for winter conditions in November um it's when it kind of starts to get wintry there you know very very similar to the uk and and, and europe as such because northern hemisphere so yeah uh, there is a likelihood it might not be say as bad as say january um but there might be an opportunity and again this is where we can use them um we can use the local gear if needed diane um you know because I I, I I presume you haven't got the the winter gear um and like i said if you haven't used them before and there are parts where You've got to go on some snow and ice. Uh, the guys will um, walk you through that, literally. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, make sure you're all good, um, you know, before you, you you do get on some steep ground, okay? Um, but ultimately, yeah, uh, November, there is the, uh, just uh, to answer your question, there is a potential that um, that could be uh, ice axe uh, time, definitely. Awesome. Well, we've got loads of questions, and Do you think we should sort of like uh, get some of these? Uh... Yeah, yeah, because we got, I know we got about 12, 13 that came in um, via email. So, yeah, we'll take those as well. And obviously, I can see the questions that are coming in. Yeah, well, we've got um, just one quick off the bat one was Jerome actually said there any cost difference between summer and winter for tube car? Not really, because um, I mean, for us, our trips, um, whether you do it in summer or winter, are the same. Um, the only extra difference might be, you know, sort of 20 or 30 pounds to rent the equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's a slight differentiation on the sorry difference in price of flights. But other than that, Jerome, it's, uh, we, we, we don't charge any any different for, for winter or summer. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Um, yeah, Dave, what, what questions we got? Um, right. Well, we've got loads that we said we had sent through yesterday. And then Lauren, yes. I think um, I'm not, she's, she's got to be careful because I think she's going to get half right as she's typing so fast. Um, um, but yeah, so just diving in right in the middle. Uh, 
wow, we got one about Kathmandu. Awesome. That's what I love about the lives, you see. <laughs> from one to the other. Uh, it says Joel, a.k.a. Glenn. So yep. uh, is Kathmandu a safe city? Pockets, walking alone at night, yeah. etc. Uh, can't be any worse than Newcastle, uh, but just interested to know. Uh, it's Kathmandu is, in, is a really, really safe yeah. Um I actually feel, you know, I'm safer walking around Kathmandu at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, um, than I would, you know, walking around Newport at 2 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, no, the, the Nepalese and Kathmandu by a whole are very friendly. Um, city itself is, you know, really nice to walk around and experience. It is, isn't um, it? You yeah. know, I what you know I what there's probably are some pickpockets and things like that like there are in every city um but you know I've heard I've not been to Barcelona and you might have but I've heard some Barcelona's really bad for pickpockets yeah I went to um really bad Tallinn in Estonia before and I thought I actually saw it happening and was able to like shout out um I've not seen it in Kathmandu at all or any evidence of it um so no Kathmandu pretty free pretty friendly yeah you can enjoy it yeah, just just to echo your thoughts there, it's one of the, you know, I had the same sort of trepidation before I went to Kathmandu the first time, and after a while, you just feel so safe there. Everyone's so friendly. Um, it's not a, one of those places. Very different to say if you were going to, you know, I spent a lot of time in Thailand years ago, and Bangkok can be a bit dangerous sometimes. Manila in the Philippines, still love those places, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's I feel way safer over there than I do in, say, the nighttime in, in our own cities. Shouldn't be that way, but yeah, but um, yeah. Port, very, very safe. With Kathmandu, when I was there, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no aggression. There's no aggression in Nepal, really. Like, you know, sometimes, like Andy was saying, in some cities, it can feel a little bit aggressive where you're being hounded or badgered, or, you know, when you're out on a night out, you might see some, you know, aggro or stuff like that. I've never seen it in Kathmandu, honestly. No, not I've never seen it in Kathmandu, which is why I go there. Like, I got, you know, I, I can go there for work, and then if I book two weeks off work or for a holiday, I'll go back to Nepal in Kathmandu. You know, that's how that's how much I like it. I um, think, um, yeah, their culture has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism. They're very, um, I don't know. It's just kind of chilled out very chilled out people um yeah. and they're lovely yeah there's like you said dave you, you said lack of aggression there. there's none of that there's none of that aggro exactly yeah. so yeah so i hope that answers, um, answers um, your question we did have one and from uh the the email in yes um, so i thought we may as well uh it was from alan murphy uh briefly is there any possibility of an alternative to facebook as i'm not on the social media platform yeah, always a always a good question. We had this a couple of times, and um, you know, I appreciate. Yeah, certainly not everyone's on Facebook. Um, obviously, I know we we've built a big community on here, which is why we do the the lives. Yeah, um, we do like to repurpose them. Um, obviously, I know I've been sort of in and out last couple of weeks, um, but we will get all the uh, the lives up on uh, YouTube uh, and also put them on the podcast as well, so you can listen or rewatch them on YouTube. Um, as I yeah, I, I appreciate not everyone's on on Facebook. Exactly. Um, but they are on, like you said, um, you know, any podcast, like if you go to Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider, they're on there. They're on YouTube. Um, yeah. Well, other than that, just sign up to Facebook, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah I, and it's, it's the thing because there's a couple of, um, I mean, if you're on Netflix, there's a couple of documentaries around, uh, was it The Social Connection or something like that? I haven't seen it, but I know it's, um, there's a lot of, a little bit of negativity around social media. But uh, look, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we, we find it as a good platform to, to do this kind of thing, um, you know, to share um, our 
sort of experience and knowledge and, and hopefully it would help you yeah. um, when you're going on a trip. So, yeah, we have to choose a place to do that. We think about doing it on maybe Zoom or something like that. But, you know, we do enjoy the, the Facebook. We've got a great community. That's why, that's why we choose to do it on here. And, exactly. Yeah. And we see it as a positive thing rather than a negative thing. Yeah. I watch one of those documentaries. I think they have a lot of true, but I just think you just got to make sure that you don't live your whole life on social media. Yeah, you get all your news from Facebook, you know. Um, we use Facebook, like I said, as a way of connecting with people. And that's pretty much our you know, our reason for doing it was because we've got plenty of people on here now. We're talking, we're exchanging, and that's incredibly positive. So we'll keep doing it. Yeah, um, just seeing some of the comments from the guys there about um, Haley and Andy. Uh, looks like you had a, had a good time in Kathmandu as well, especially Andy, 3 a.m. in Tamil. Yeah. We know your pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 3 a.m. in Tamil equals um, a very difficult sort of 1 p.m. in Tamil. You know what I mean? Like, so after you've woken up, you're like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah talking about Hayley um she did email in yesterday um asking could you show us the alternative bootlace tire method um again David I think this oh, is Andy I wish I wish you'd have told me about that question before so I could I know, um, well, luckily so I could know, prepare. Uh, <laughs> as with Blue Peter was it was it Blue Peter here's what we made earlier yeah yeah well right I did a so really needs to know this one. I'm gonna move this down so you can kind of see it. Okay, so <laughs> this here is a very unwaxed Mangle Bhutan boot. That needs some serious treatment, Dave. It, it does need some serious treatment, but you know, uh Bracken's a, a tough place, man. So <laughs> right, this is completely like you know, just laced up to the eyelets with the yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, so this is how I lace my boots. So cross over once. First loop, then bring it across. Then I will fold that under once. Yeah. Then I'll fold it under twice. So you get like a nice triple fold like that. Nice. And when you pull that tight, then it doesn't like undo, you know, that's like pretty safe. Then you go up to the top eyelet. So it okay, looks you come on the inside, right? Yeah. So something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Then cross over and go down to the middle eyelet. And then what you do then, so now you're not at the top of the boot, tie in your knot here, you tie in your knot down there. The middle, yeah. Nice. Handy, so in the middle of the boot. And then what I'll do is I'll go over once, twice, three times, pull it tight, tie it there. So nice day. As you can see, I can hear the applause, mate. Literally, I can yeah. hear it. Yeah. The, the reason why this is a good way to do it and why I like to do it this way is because if you tie your knot here at the top, yeah. all the, a lot of the tension is around your ankle, which can make your Achilles hurt, um, but also doesn't stop your foot sliding forward. Um, so what you do is you, you, get, you tie it around there once, which gives it just as much as you need. And then here you tie the knot and like lock your ankle in there as opposed to like the top. And then what that'll do is stop your foot sliding back and forth. Um, yeah. And by going over the laces once or twice uh, means that, you know, it won't loosen throughout the day. So that, that'll stay there solid. Very good, Dave. Loved it. There's, well, well, there's a lot of mud on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> very good very good i'm just gonna uh, crack on with the other questions we, we come for the email as well just while we, uh, we get them done yeah um, I think we had one from morgana daniel and what time roughly do we start walking on the kilimanjaro trip 
Um, uh, you heard the summit push that night, but wondered what the rest of the trip was like. So, yeah, normally we start sort of 7.30. Um, uh, we had Yessi, who was one of our fantastic guides over in uh, Moshi in Tanzania. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, normally we, we stick to kind of the same, so you're into your rhythm. You know, so you almost wake up knowing that you've got a time to work towards. Yeah. Uh, so we'd have a time for breakfast, then we'd have a time that we're going to leave. So everyone's sort of ready to rock and roll. Um, you know, so we don't, uh, you know, we, we, we don't like to lie in. Obviously, summit night is a bit of a, a bit different where you're only having a couple of hours sleep. You're getting up at, say, 10, 10.30 and you're starting your actual summit push at 11 p.m. So that is a little bit different. But, yeah, otherwise, um, yeah, look around about 7.30, 8 o'clock. But uh, <laughs> I know some guides tend to gauge how the teams are feeling because yeah. some people just prefer that extra half hour and you know what we are flexible like that if, if if a lot of the team are kind of like oh you know can you give us a little extra half hour yeah the other day you're just going to arrive half hour later to your next camp so it's not a yeah. major problem yeah um, you know on killy so i, I hope mean, that answers your, your your question yeah generally speaking you know you'll get told this the night before as well so yeah. you'll have you'll be in the tent the night before having your food and then they'll give you a briefing for the next day um, and it's normally like six o'clock, wake up, 6.30, water for washing and tea. Um, and then seven o'clock, you know, breakfast, leave at half seven, something like that. So, yeah. Um, but as Andy said, all bets are off on summit night. Um, if you're a fan of, um, you know, if you're fond of long lie-ins every day, um, summit day is going to be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is, yeah. If you've never worked nights or you've never done like a trek in the dark, it's certainly different. But, uh, yeah. you know. Part of the challenge exactly yeah so um, um, great stuff what else we got dave we got I mean, we got heaps we got um trevor who was asking about a good set of walkie talkies to buy for mountain range yeah i mean if you're coming on a trip with us you probably don't need them because your guides have got it covered but i mean generally if you're out hiking in the uk i mean there's loads of different makes i mean motorola seems to be pretty good i mean i have to be honest um when when we go out it, it just just us we don't really carry one yeah um, but having a quick sort of search and everything there's um, there's a lot of options on there if you have a quick google there's loads we don't need them on our trips um our guides carry all the communication equipment yeah probably um, you could um message maybe mountain rescue and ask them what they use or something like that they might yeah. be okay. I, I honestly have no idea that's one bit of equipment that i've never used or anything like that i've never found that i've needed to um generally speaking our groups stay together so yeah. one end can shout to the other end and speak to each other and if there's poor visibility then we stay like quite tight together um so generally speaking we you know because we do quite small groups um we have more than one guide per group looking after the front end the back end we have a guide in the middle looking after those guys so generally speaking communication is pretty good and fluid um, yeah. Also, in the countries that we visit, the guys have local phones that all work in the mountains and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, yeah, pretty good there. No, I think um, especially like if you climb an island peak, Mara Peak, um, any of those as well, um, they do use expedition level walkie-talkies on there to communicate because of visibility. Yeah, you know, if you're if you if you're climbing a, pro a proper peak like that, um, you know, they've got the the equipment there. But yeah, uh, yeah in terms of ones for yourself. Um, yeah, Trevor, have a little Google, mate. Um, you know, it might be a question you put in the High Altitude Evertrekkers group as well. Maybe there's some mountain guides, um, other people who might use them in the UK a bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah, I reckon fire it out there, Trevor. Excellent. So um, another one, Gregory Arthur Wallen has said. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he's booked Killy 2023. Nice. Um, and realized that he never looked up dietary res uh, restrictions. Both him and his wife are vegetarian. 
uh, is this going to be a problem on the trip? Not at all. Um, so all of our trips now, um, you know, cater for both, you know, meat eaters, vegetarians, vegans, gluten intolerance, all that sort of thing. As long as you make us aware and you make the guide aware um, during the initial briefing when you arrive, yeah. um, they'll make sure that there's enough food, um, you know, for you, you know, all the way up Killy. But no, vegetarian is going to be is going to be perfectly fine. Um, yeah, on Kilimanjaro, you know, things are a little bit different. As long as we can keep the food safe, we can cook it because they, they you know, they use gas and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's a good system. Yeah, nice. Um, Jerry Keane, also on email, um, mentions 56 years old. I uh, would appreciate if you could provide me with a training program to enable me to join you on the treks without slowing others down. And he says, perhaps Kili or Morocco would suit me better. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think the way you've ended it there, you said about Kili or Morocco would suit you better. Because we, we were talking about this, Dave, because I know we went through some of these questions beforehand. Yeah. Um, and we're thinking that, you know, Kili, um, yeah, I Personally, I'd say it's probably harder than, say, if you're looking at Everest Base Camp. With regards to training plans, um, what I'll do, Lauren, who's on, um, who's, who is manning the um, the phones, yeah, uh, the, the comments, we can pop the, we do have some training plans, and we've got uh, a training guide, so you can have a look at that. Yeah. You know, with regards to slowing people down, it's not something that really happens on our treks. I mean, because um, we get it a lot, you know, what happens if I come on the trip and, if I'm slow and I hold everyone back, well, you know, you're probably acclimatized better. Yeah. Uh, generally, the slowest people, um, you know, perform better altitude just because you spend all that time. You know, say you arrive maybe half hour, an hour later than everyone, than, than maybe uh, the, the fast people at the front. Uh, imagine that every day and accumulatively. So, you know, you're talking eight to maybe 10 hours more of acclimatization than everyone else. And that, you know, that helps. Exactly. Especially on a, on a multi, you know, a long multi day trek. Yeah. Um, so don't think that by if you're slow, that's going to hinder you in any way. If anything, that's going to be a benefit to you. Yeah. And um, you know, trips. all of our trips as well. There, there's always like, you know, different people going at different speeds. But generally speaking, we stay together. Yeah. Um, and you're more likely to be told to slow down than you ever are to be told to speed up. Um, you know, unless it's so slow that you're going to be like, you know, 12 hours on a six hour trek. But that's never happened. We have a big emphasis on it's not a race, it's an experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you race to the finish or you race to the summit of Kili or to EBC or wherever you're going, um, you're not going to feel great when you get there. That's been proven. We've had triathletes go to base camp and army PTs and stuff like that. Um, we had personal experience of this and where they were really strong, some of the fittest yeah, guys yeah. pushing on really early. And then really, really struggled when they got to base camp. When yeah. other people who are less fit, just average Joes, um, felt fine and were laughing and joking and really enjoyed yeah. themselves. So go use slowness as a tool, use it to acclimatize, and you'll do you'll do far better when you get higher up. Yeah, yeah. Um, very well put, very well interesting put. question here actually from Abby. Okay. Um, which I, we haven't had before. So this is a new one. Um, can altitude have a negative impact on sleep quality? Would herbal sleeping tablets be a good solution, especially for the evening before summit day on Killy? Now, I did a little bit of looking up on this because I've not, it, altitude will affect your sleep. There's no question about yeah, it. To some degree or another. Some people just find that they they don't really notice any difference. Other people really struggle to sleep at altitude. My personal advice would be that any sort of sleep aid would probably have a negative effect on you because they tend to be sort of suppressed, you know, <laughs> suppressants where they relax you they have a more sedative effect 
um, and they'll slow your breathing down and stuff like that. So if, uh, you might sleep better, but you won't acclimatize. Um, and you can push through tiredness, but you can't push through altitude sickness. Yeah. Um, I especially wouldn't do it the, the evening before summit night on Killy. Um, because if you wake oh. up and you're tired and lethargic, um, it's going to be an almost impossible task to push yourself to the summit of Kilimanjaro because you can put, like I said, you know, both myself and Andy did Kilimanjaro in February. And one of the things that we took back from it was, yeah, one of the biggest challenges was the sleep deprivation, you know, the, the tiredness and stuff like that. But if you were take a tablet, you've only got a few hours of window for sleep. So it's still going to be in your system when you wake up. So my personal advice is do your best to acclimatize well. That's how you can sleep well on the mountains. Garlic soup, take Diamox if you need it, walk slowly, drink lots, eat good meals, um, and that will do a lot more for you than any sleep aid. Uh, yeah. That's my personal advice. Um, you know, there might be, <laughs> you know, someone might have a different opinion, but based on my experience at altitude, that's, my, that's what I would recommend. Yeah, bang on, Dave. Bang on, I think. You know, we, uh, it's part of the challenge, isn't it? You know, you, you, you'll be knackered, especially if you're going on something like um, Everest Base Camp. You'd be surprised you get a lot of sleep. Um, yeah, Killy, um, you know, obviously you've got the, the summit night where you, you certainly have a lack of sleep. But most other nights, it's, you're so tired from, from actually doing the walk inside that you, yeah, you just sleep pretty well. You know, but it's part of the challenge. Um, you know, lack of sleep, lack of energy, altitude. All these sound like, oh, my God, you know, this is, this is terrible. But, yeah, it's part of the challenge. And it's not for everyone, you know. Um, but if you're up for a challenge, then, yeah, um, you know, we'd love to have you with us. Hope yeah. that, that um, answers your questions, Abby. Good question. Uh, oh, let's have a look. I know we've got a lot of people. Um, oh, was it John? John Strell actually um, messaged in uh, yesterday, asked about the Rab Positron down jacket. Is it overkill for EBC? Dave, I know you're the equipment guru for us. Uh, no. No, it's just about right, actually. Um, yeah, it's fine. To be honest, there isn't really, I mean, I would say a down summit suit is overkill for EBC. <laughs> yeah. Any down jacket is not going to be overkill, um, you know, because the, the, if you're wearing that, it's going to be cold. And if you put it on and you're warm, that's fine. A lot of the time when I wear a down jacket, I've just got a base layer under it or a thin fleece. Um, you know, so if it is a really big jacket that you find is like really warm, um, then just put a base layer under it. It's all about the layering, remember? Not one single piece of equipment makes the difference between sort of making it, not making it, being comfortable or not being comfortable. So use your jacket as part of a layering system. Um, and if you get too hot, unzip it or take it off. If you're cold, yeah. put it back on. But it's not overkill. It's actually just about right. I think it's now the replacement for the jacket that I first used and Andy recommended to me when I first went, which was the Rab um, Infinity Pro endurance, yeah, they don't make it anymore, do they? It's a shame. It's a good jacket, great jacket, but, but Positron's um, another yeah. part of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, the Positron's a good jacket. Yeah, it's um, it was great, especially at night and things like that. I think if you're, you know, if you, if you're cold in the lodge in Gorek Chef or you want to sleep in your denim jacket and stuff like that, it, honestly, then you will realise quickly that no jacket is overkill when you're cold. Sinead, <laughs> <laughs> um, who's a big part of our Evertrek community, she's been with us um, and she's come back with us as well, which is awesome. But she used the Positron and EBC and it was great at night. So there we yeah. go. Well, Sinead was interesting. I actually didn't realise when I put up a post about the um, Carry Me Back campaign. Yeah. Um, uh, I put it on Instagram and it was about um, just, you know, letting people know that when they go up to EBC, yeah. there's this great campaign on there that we've talked about before where 
um, all the um, single-use plastics and trash on the mountain is compacted into these little silver bags that you clip onto your jacket or your rucksack. They don't weigh anything. Um, and I posted a picture of uh, one of the Evertrekkers carrying one back, and it turned out to be Sinead. So well done. There we go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so um, I think we posted and talked about this a little bit as well. So, you know, find out about that if you go into uh, the Himalaya because it's um, it's something that we really want to encourage as many Evertrekkers as we can to do. Even if it's just one little thing, doesn't add any weight to your bag. Um, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Good man. Um, yeah, great. So I think Karen as well on the flip side, whilst we're on the subject, we were talking about not using maybe sleeping stuff, maybe tablets or herbal remedies. But what about the opposite? I mean, caffeine tablets. Personally, yeah. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you're sleep deprived, I tell you what, I could have used some of them on summit night. I didn't use them. And always, you know, everyone's, you know, especially if you've got a dodgy ticker or something like that, you've got to be careful with caffeine tablets. But I mean, I have used them before for staying, keeping up late. Yeah. If I'm doing a walk as a, as a, as a last measure. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd say, you know, yeah, why not? If Yeah. You know, you're coming I, back really quickly afterwards, so it's not going to have any long-term effects. And if it, if it makes a difference, it makes a difference. That's it, yeah. I would. I I don't use them because caffeine tends to be it, – it perks me up, but I also have – I come down. Yeah, you are crashed, don't you? Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I think maybe try them out. <laughs> but um, certainly I think there are a lot of people, like, who, like, live on coffee. Yeah. Like, handy. <laughs> no, so um, coffee, Dave. <laughs> no, no. If you're if you're into coffee, you'll be all right. Yeah. yeah so up, up and down summit night is like twelve hours. Well, twelve hours is a long time for Andy to go without a coffee. Having a caffeine pill probably would have done you a world of good, Dave. It probably um, would have actually. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so I'm just going through all these questions because I want to make sure we get everyone on the email I because I know they potentially not able to make it and catch it on the replay couple of questions just around trips going ahead and things like that and um you know we want to you know obviously talk about it i know we've talked about it a lot especially more on nepal um but i know it seems to be stretching on longer than planned doesn't it this uh, this good old the big c yeah um but yeah john rain actually asked about um you know obviously fco advice because a lot of advice at the moment going around obviously quarantine come back to the uk depending on where you go in and he's going in feb 21 um which at the moment everything is going ahead john um, and the situation in the country, uh, poor medical services not likely to improve. What are the options if no expedition? So with um, I know we've been in communication with a lot of our uh, Nepalese or autumn um, customers because that was like the immediate, you know, we've, we're always as, as flexible as we as we can do, you know, within reason. So, yeah, if anything happens, John, um, you know, and any, anyone else that's, that's thinking about this as well, that you can move your trip for free. Yeah. There's not a problem there. We can do that. And um you know, it's probably easier because, you know, if you've booked with us and you know about us, obviously we don't organize your international flights. Um, we know that we kind of leave that down to you. We can guide you on it, um, which also makes it a lot easier for us to move your trips. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know life happens. You know, before COVID, we've always, the last couple of years, we've always been flexible. Any last minute injuries and many last minute, I've just had a baby. <laughs> you know, life gets in the way. You know, we would never put obstacles in the way. I mean, you know, we're, trekkers off ourselves we're travelers we'd we'd hate it if someone said no you can't do this you can't do that we always want to be super flexible so yeah and i want to push that out there as well if you know you can't make it or if anything happens because of covid because of anything just give us a shout you know um yeah we like to think of i have a relationship of transparency and trust between us and and you guys and um you know so if you can keep give us a heads up and then we can we can just um, you know get you on a trip because as long as you book with us um, you know we want to take you on this trip so yeah I hope that sort of answered your question a little bit John 
Um, but obviously, we have to re rely on official advice, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, moving on now, I think we got a message from. Yeah, we got so many questions. It's crazy. David, uh, how many days is the Killy climb, please? Um, okay, so we do. We only do one route, and I'll tell you why. We do the Lamosho route, which is eight days. Um, so you summit on day seven. And then day eight is just um, the final walk down to the to the gate where you can, you know, have a celebratory beer and relax. But, yeah, the reason why we, we only do one as opposed to doing all the different routes yeah. is because we want Kilimanjaro to be as accessible uh, for you guys as our other trips like EBC. You know, we have a very high success rate in getting people to Everest Base Camp. Um, and we don't want to um, lose that because we know that... The, the more success, the greater the experience for you guys. So seven days up to the summit gives you much longer to acclimatize uh, as opposed to like a five-day trip or even a six-day trip. Um, so we do the Lamosho route to make sure that you guys acclimatize the best. Also, it's the most scenic um, and, you know, nobody should be in a rush to get to the top and it's all about the journey and, you know, you get to go through the jungles, you get to go through like the, the plains and then you get to go up onto Kili itself, onto the uh, the high glaciers and stuff. So it gives you a really complete package. Um, and, you know, the other ones we feel like if you look at the success rates of people that attempt, say, the was it uh, Coca-Cola route and, you know, and uh, what they call Morangi, it, uh, Morangi, Morangi, which is what, five days, which five is days, which is crazy, like summit on day four, you know. When you think Kilimanjaro is nearly a six thousand meter peak, it's five eight nine five meters. Yeah, four days to get to that altitude is crazy. You know, we take eight days to get to Everest Base Camp, and that's five three six four. Um, yeah. So four days, you know, half that time. Not happy with that. So Lamosho is the best for acclimatization, and it's the best overall experience as well. So that's that's why we do it. Yeah, um, yeah, good man. Yeah, and um. Yeah, having done it as well, you know, you'll get to see monkeys and stuff like that, you know, in the jungle. And yeah, it's also yeah. pretty surprising. I think they, yeah, uh, we got someone almost got peed on by one as well. Yeah, they were right in the middle of the path. Yeah, giving us a <laughs> literally a golden shower as you like. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, a couple more questions I think um, we missed further on, but Julie Dallow um, came up with a question. Tupacal trip seems quite short. How does this work for acclimatization? Um, I know Dave touched on it a little bit earlier about sort of why because of the height because it's not extreme altitude it's almost 4200 meters as such and because you're only spending a short time up there um the acclimatization time doesn't have to be that big um, and you're down so quickly anyway um you know you, you depending on how the group feels you can um you obviously spend a little bit of time on the summit uh, of tupacal um if you're doing one of the longer routes um if there's a, there is an option for the second highest peak which is una Corin, I think it's called. I forgot how to pronounce it now, but it's a little bit lower than Tubcal, but um, also as well, you, you're, you're up and down, up and down. So, you know, if you've got the energy, you can take on that one, um, especially during the summer months, yeah. um, because it's it's kind of easier to take on um, after nailing the the Tubcal summit. Um, so, yeah, that's why, you, with regards to Tubcal, we don't need to spend a lot of time acclimatizing, really, which is why we've got the four day option. And the four day is quite popular, although, you know, if you're up for a bit of an adventure. Um, also spend a bit of time in marrakesh because you get a couple of days in marrakesh that's why we do the eight day um you know which is which is awesome yeah exactly i mean it, um, it's like a dash to the summit isn't it you know yeah. 
from the refuge, you're not really going to be, you, you, you are touching at altitude, so you will notice it, but it's not really at a, a, a high risk of altitude sickness. And then it's quick, get to the top, right, get back down. Right, we'll crack on. The um, I got uh, Jim Blues uh, emailed us yesterday. Uh, any procedure for donating trekking equipment or clothing to the guides at the end of a trip? Um, I'm sort of handing it off. So, yeah, Dave, I, I know because we, we talked a little bit about this yeah. earlier. There's we don't really have a procedure as such, doesn't it? It all, it all depends on you know how you feel about it. I mean, because yeah. lots of people do it. Lots exactly. Of people do it. Yeah. I mean, because you know we, we say tips. Eat, tips are about as compulsory as we can get. You know, obviously, yeah, it's not really expected, but but yeah, it's expected, and you know, we we like to think that everyone will will offer you know financial reward in the form of a tip to all the guys at the end. Um, with equipment and gear and stuff, it is optional. Um, yeah. so we don't really have a formal setting for it, but what we say is, you know, give, you know, whatever you can to whoever you can, whenever you can, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, and you know, you can either give it to the head guide and say, I, I, you know, I have this collection of stuff. I'd like you to have it, and you know, ideally share it out or stuff like that. Or if there's one particular person that's helped you out a lot, you know, you can give it to those people um yeah we leave it up to you guys you know um ultimately you know it's an adventure it's fun there's a, a big group of people that are going to be helping you you're going to have interactions with some more than others um for instance you know like when i went up to kilimanjaro there we had um the all the head guides two head guides and then some really experienced porters who are training to be guides um, and they'll go up in a one-to-one -one ratio. So there was kind of like one guy like shadowing me all the time, you know, bag if needed. You know, yeah, you a little bit nudge. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah, all of that stuff, so, you know. So um, they go through a lot to help you, you know. And they'll like like Andy said, they'll carry your bag if you need to. They'll give you a little push. They'll help you. They'll make sure you're drinking and eating and stuff like that. So um, you know, certainly some people might get back to them and give them some gloves or a hat or something like that. And it's all really well appreciated. Uh, yeah yeah especially in the, in the other countries as well i mean i know we talked about um that was nepal that, that question specifically but you know if we're talking about tanzania i know they've got the and i think jerome just made a good point there about the kpap um which does cover a lot of companies and um, the company we use has actually got their own one um through what we call the zara charity and that means that um you know their porters are very well looked after um you know we've seen firsthand um how well looked after they are so yeah it's important that um you know you look after those guys because you, you know you, you'd struggle to get up these mountains without them yeah um, and it's you know anything is, is is amazingly well received um you know they're so humble as well about receiving them you know they'll be uh, your best friend after that but jerome you just asked as well about the nearest airport to to do in tubkal and marrakesh yes you've got manara airport in marrakesh um it's only about 10 minutes outside of marrakesh and once we transfer you to your um, uh, your Riyadh, which is where you stay in Marrakesh, um, depending on if you're doing the four or eight day, you might go straight up to Imlil, which is about an hour and a half drive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Marrakesh, lovely Marrakesh. It's it's one of those, um, some people always say that it's a, it's a love or hate city because you can absolutely love it, but you will get lost. <laughs> it's amazing. If you ever go to the souks and you get, no map will guide you, it's just crazy. But it's, you know, it's part of the adventure. Yeah um great stuff right dave i know we've got lots of questions it's weird because we had loads coming yesterday um because we did say like if you've got any questions and you can't make it do send us the um um do send us a message so, have a little Nietzsche has said uh how much notice do i have to give to do the three peaks plus okay uh going in march um okay well to be honest <clears throat> 
I, I always want to say like, you, you just have to let me know. I, ideally, I'd like a month's notice, you know, so I can send all the details over and stuff like that. But I have had people call me, you know, or call into the office like before their ship and say, do you know what, Dave? I, I think I fancy Island Peak. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they do change it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, like we don't, and, and I'll do my best to work it out for you. But basically, the, the more notice you give, the more guaranteed it is. If you give me a month, 100%, I'll guarantee you do the three peaks. If you give me a day, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, we, yeah, usually we can we can make it happen. You know, it just depends on the availability of guides. If we have another trip going and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if, um, for instance, we don't have another trip going to the Three Peaks at that time, um, I would quickly have to try and find another guide um, and get all the accommodation and stuff sorted for you. Um, so yeah, giving me a, as much notice as you can certainly makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, Paul, because I know Ken uh, Ken O'Leary um, asked about, you know, what's the situation now in Nepal, trekking, and, you know, it's very similar. Um, you know, we like to think by by the spring, you know, we're really, really, um, you know, hopeful that will go ahead and, you know, we, we can't wait, you know, because this, this year has been nuts. Um, you know, but this is this is the world we're in at the moment, and we, we have to keep positive, keep strong. Can't wait to get, get back to, to the mountains. But, um, yeah, just to answer, you know, about what it's like out there. I mean, at the moment, unfortunately, Kathmandu's not very good. It's... Um, yeah, their, their COVID's gone absolutely crazy um, going up. So, it's, yeah, it's not, not safe to be in the world yeah, right now. Exactly. I mean, I know Anuj, um, I yeah. think you might be watching. He was on here earlier. Yeah. Uh, certainly spoke to him recently and he said, um, you know, Kathmandu is like a lot of the places in the UK at the moment. You know, so yeah. even where we are in Wales, we don't have a lot of movement and stuff like that. Um, in Kathmandu, their cases are increasing um, and they were in lockdown and I believe still are in lockdown and that's likely to be extended. Um, so we think of it in a couple of different ways. One of them is, you know, is it, you know, safe and responsible for people to go to Nepal now um, and do the trip? You know, although you might get the negative test before you go and there's a lot of hoops you might have to jump through, like the 14 day quarantine when you get back, all that sort of stuff. What worries me is if you catch it in transit. Yeah. Um, and then you arrive in Kathmandu and then five seven days later your symptoms start well you're going to be above four thousand meters at that point with a respiratory illness that's scary um but, and then also if you do bring it you know you're going to it's contributing to the problem in the pool um yeah you know contributing to the spread in the pool so obviously there's you know some some we don't want to do that um so yeah we're, you know we're taking a responsible approach we anticipate that march next year will be um good to go um, the one thing I tell everybody is Everest isn't going anywhere and neither are we, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, we'll definitely do that. But yeah, yeah. yeah nice, nicely answered, Dave. Um, I think it's more or less covered it. I think there was one question I saw then. Where was it? Um, I think it was Amanda, Amanda Hilton. Here we go. I just found it now. When do you think the decision? Yeah. So we're looking at, um, with regards to November. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pretty We'd like to say, okay, yeah, we're going ahead uh, because we're talking about Tupkar now, um, about going in, in November. Because uh, I know with Nepal and the other countries, um, you know, it's pretty much been, you know, I know we've been in touch with uh, everyone to sort of say, like, you know, these are, this is the options uh, because of the situation. But, yeah, with uh, with Morocco, yeah, I, I, I'm almost quietly confident. But, you know, we, we will have to wait and see. I think we'll have to make a call going through October, really, and see what it's like Um they might open their borders, but they might be, you know, do a test before. There might be some hoops you have to jump jump through. Yeah, like some uh, a lot of countries in in Europe right now. Um, fingers crossed. Um, let's wait and see. I think on on that one, Amanda. But uh, you know, we'll obviously be in touch 
about that trip because I know you you obviously booked in on that one. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to keep uh, keep you as up to date as as we can. Um, that's why we hope that you know these are handy as well, just so we can sort of talk like this and say, look, you know, we want to be open and transparent with you and say, look, if if it's going ahead, we'll be yes, we're going. If it's not, then we'll you know we'll, we'll definitely um we'll definitely tell you. Um, there was two ones that I can answer quite quickly. I think. Okay. Um, so I think Miko actually asked another question, which uh, was that about vaccinations? Yeah, vaccinations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it's all the normal ones that you need. So Hep A, Hep B, tetanus, polio, that type of thing. Um, rabies, I believe, as well. But I think that again may be an optional one. Yeah. Um, what I recommend is that you go to the Nomad Travel Clinic website. And yeah. you can search all the destinations that we go to on that website, and it'll give you a complete list of the vaccinations that you can do. Um, and if you visit that clinic to get them, um, then you know you can mention Evertrack, and there are certain perks there, like a discount and yeah. things like that. Um, with anything that's optional, like rabies, we won't tell you to get it or not to get it. Um, it's a judgment call that you have to make based on your sort of comfort level with the risk. Um, I'll anticipate you've asked me whether I've had it. Yes, I have. Because uh, I'm a I'm a pincushion, I'll just be like yes, yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, and Andy has. <laughs> so, yeah, it all depends on your comfort level. Um, Paul Mitchell said, "Is it much harder?" I'm assuming he's talking about the three peaks. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> so, is there a most hardcore trek really that doesn't include a peak? Um, yeah, that's, that's three peaks, three passes. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So it's long, it's, um, multiple ascents of high passes. Um, but again, you know, if you're up for a bit more of a challenge than, than just Everest Base Camp, which is one heck of a challenge in itself, then yeah, um, give that a go. Or Gokyo Valley, of course. It's um, Paul. I know, I know you you, you booked in on uh, which one? You, which one's Paul booked in on, Dave? Yeah, EBC. Okay, just classic, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if um, I mean, we do a route to Island Peak that does go over two of the high passes, which is also, I'd probably say that is our most challenging trip that we do in Nepal. Um, but they're all they're all great trips on in you know in in their yeah, own way. Exactly. I mean, they're all achievable. You know, they're all achievable. Um, it's about what what you want to do when you're out there. You know, so yeah. like I always say, you know, if you want to go to EBC, go to EBC. If you want to spend longer and go over some high passes and stuff like that on your way, then you know we can start looking at places like Gokyo and the Three Peaks. If you want to go really 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 high, then we'll talk to you about Island Peak and stuff like that. Yeah, certainly. I know there are a lot of people on the uh, high altitude ever trekkers uh, Facebook group that have done um, the three peaks, three passes trip with us, um, and put a lot of uh, information out there and stuff like that. So yeah, mine them for information because uh, they'll be able to tell you from a customer's perspective what it was like. Yeah, good point actually, Dave. Yeah, because on the in any uh, Facebook groups, um, if you, they got a little search bar at the top there, if you go into the group, you can search for say. Say you wanted to know about the three peaks and then all the all the all the comments and posts that people have put about it. There's a lot of information there. I know we've had Alan Payne, who's posted a lot of pictures. He's a great ever trekker. Uh, he's been with us. He did the three uh, three peaks, three passes. What was he sixty uh, when he did it? What's that? Was it on his sixtieth birthday or fifty? Yeah, he did it for his sixtieth. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he was sixty and did it. Um, it was great, man. He did Kilimanjaro, and I remember he was trekking with us in Brecon, and he said he was in Tanzania. I think he was working there or on safari or something. And he said he, and he saw Kilimanjaro and it was almost a spiritual experience for him. He knew he had to get to the top. Yeah. Um, and then that sort of gave him this sort of burst of enthusiasm for adventure and mountains. And then afterwards, then he did EBC, the three passes and stuff like that. I'm sure he'll do much more as well. He's a great guy, Alan. 
Yeah, definitely. He's got a lot of, uh, he's a great photographer as well. So um, yeah, he does provide, if you have a little search of that, if you're interested in that trip specifically um, and to get a, an Evertrekker's viewpoint, definitely have a look at it. Obviously you can download the guide on the website, yeah. the trip page if you want our guide, a little walkthrough of the actual trip. Uh, but great, yeah, look, great to be back. Um, great to see a lot of people um, on here as well, a lot of regulars, uh, even some newbies. Um, we hope we answered some questions. Yep. Um, we'll be back next week. We've got a few sort of subjects lined up. They're a little bit different. I know we've talked about certain specific things. Um, you know, we got a, we did a little little sort of planning meeting, didn't we, Dave, just before I went away a couple of weeks ago. We come up with some really good stuff. So hopefully, um, yeah, we'll be doing that next couple of weeks. We're also going to be doing some more podcast recording when we can. Um, all the team are working from home at the moment. We, you know, have to, again, we, we want to get back to the office as soon as we can. But um, don't worry, we're here. We're all got access to everything. So, um, you know, the Evertrekkers uh, and the Yetis are still available for everyone. So um, next week we have a new Yeti starting, which is exciting. Very exciting. Very um, uh, next week. So, um, yeah, really excited about that to grow the team even more. So especially after um, Fee, the Bimblin Yeti joined us, he's in like fifth week now, which has flown by. Is Fee that? Uh, is Fee a fifth week? But yeah. we've got a new Yeti next week, so I won't spoil it. Um, join us, find out who that is. And uh, yeah, we look forward to, to seeing you guys next week. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Bye. Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, another episode of the Mountain Malarkey podcast. Um, yeah, that was something a little bit different, wasn't it, from the Tuesday tune-in? But I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. I must say, you were brilliant on that episode, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. Now, if, uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, all these uh, podcasts we put together, the episodes trying to reach as many people as possible and if it's helped you leave us a lovely review um and yeah we'll see you again next week yeah all the best guys bye